The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello, Dr. Ray. Hi, Dr. Ray. How are you? I'm sure I'm going to get really good advice from you. Well, I don't know about that. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. You came to the wrong place. So what do I do? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is wonderful advice. This is what I needed to hear. You're right on track with us. You're right on track. Everybody make a mistake. Does that comfort you? No. Am I close? No. You are the best thing that has ever happened to people. Did I make you feel a lot better or what? No, you made me feel worse. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. A little bit of a psychological buffet. Pick and choose what you can use, what might be helpful to you, what might be a total waste of your time. Good to have you here. On The Doctor is In, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, co-production of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and Ave Maria Radio Communications with my producer man and editor of these Look Back Calls, Andrew Kruchek. Shrink wrapping you to Tighter thinking, my street name, D-Ray. This is Look Back Friday, where we take previous calls, and uh, I want to comment on them some more. And the comments could vary from adding a few more details, explaining a term, second-guessing what I said. That happens a lot. This from a woman who does an awful lot of intergenerational studying. That's that's exactly what she does. Her name is Jean Twenge. She says, One day last summer I called Athena, not a real name, a 13-year-old. She answered a phone. She's had an iPhone since she was 11. Sounding as if she'd just woken up. I asked her if she goes to the mall with her friends. She goes, no, no. She goes, we don't go to the mall very much. Once a month. More often, Athena and her friends, now I'm still quoting Jean in her article. This article was written in 2017, six years ago. So it's, well, I want to say it's outdated, but even then, this was the trajectory. Athena and her friends spend time together on their phones, unchaperoned. Unlike the teens of my generation, who might have spent an evening tying up the family landline, these teens talk on Snapchat. They make sure they keep up with snap streaks, which show how many days in a row they have Snapchatted. She says, I've been researching generational differences for 25 years, starting when I was a doctoral student in psychology. Typically, the characteristics that come to define a generation appear gradually and along a continuum beliefs and behaviors that were already rising simply continued to do so around 2012 i noticed abrupt shifts in teen behaviors and emotional states in all my analysis of generational data some reaching back to the 1930s i have never seen anything like it what happened in 2012 to cause 
such dramatic shifts in behavior. It was after the Great Recession, which officially lasted from 2007-2009. It was exactly the moment. This is 2012 now. This is a little 11 years ago. When the proportion of Americans who owned a smartphone surpassed 50%. Now, if you're looking at this from a teen perspective... She said portion of Americans 11 years ago. I'm assuming she means the whole age range. But in the past 11 years, the teen ownership of smartphones has just absolutely exploded. you got a 15-year-old who doesn't have a smartphone. I don't have exact statistics, but I, you're, you're, you're one in 50. She says this. The more I poured over yearly surveys of teen attitudes and behaviors, the more I talked with young people, the clearer it became to me that theirs is a generation shaped by the smartphone and the concomitant rise of social media. I call them iGen, <laughs> born between 1995 and 2012. So that would be what, uh, 15, so 8, 20, 20, uh, 28-year-olds and down to 11-year-olds, 11 to 28. Uh, 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 let's see where we're at here. I want to, because it's, it's a long quote. The arrival of the smartphone has radically changed every aspect of teenagers' lives, from the nature of their social interactions to their mental health. These changes have affected young people in every corner of the nation and in every type of household. The trends appear among teens poor and rich, every ethnic background, cities, suburbs, small towns. Where there are cell towers, teens are living their lives on their smartphone. Psychologically, these teens are more vulnerable than the millennials. Millennials go up to typically 34, 35. Rates of teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed since 2011. Now, this was written in 2017. So six years ago, they've exploded since she wrote this article. She said, it's not an exaggeration to describe iGen as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. I see this. I see this all the time. I get parents from every perspective calling me, my kid's unhappy, my kid's miserable, my kid's doing this, my kid's cutting, my kid is anxious, my kid is depressed, my kid is holed up in her room, my kid is, yeah, the, the parents are shocked. They're trying to navigate the quote-unquote teen years thinking, well, I guess this is the way teen years are. No, no, it's not. It's the way our teen years are. Let me go a little further in this here. Mm-hmm. The new generation aren't working as much. In the late 70s, 77% of high school seniors worked for pay during the school year. By the mid-2010s, only 55% did. Number of 8th graders who work for pay has been cut in half. Now, let's go a little further, a little further along the lines here. What she's saying. If today's teens 
were a generation of grinds, in other words, just kind of grinding your way along, we'd see it in the data. But the 8th, 10th, and 12th graders in the 2010s actually spend less time on homework than their peers did in the 1990s. The time that seniors spend on activities such as student clubs and sports and exercise has changed little. This means that hygiene teens have more leisure time. So what are they doing with that time? They're on their phone, in their room, alone, and often distressed. She got any more points? She got a whole lot of points here. She talks about the depression, talks about the anxiety. Here it is. What's the connection between smartphones and the apparent psychological distress this generation is experiencing? For all their power to link kids day and night, social media also exaggerates the age-old concern about being left out. Teens today go to fewer parties, spend less time together in person. But when they do congregate, it's Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. The number of teens who feel left out has reached an all-time high. This this trend has been especially steep among girls. 48% more girls said they feel left out in 2015 than in 2010, compared with 27% percent more boys she goes on and on it's it's a long article parents will say to me okay so what do i do here what do i do now this usually comes down to two groups one who has already given the kids a smartphone and regret it because they see what it's done or two those parents trying to hold out against enormous pressure from their teen 13 14 years of age or their peers, grandma, other friends. This is how they communicate now. They have to feel they have to feel part of it. Now that's interesting because Twinge is saying actually they feel more left out the more time they spend on their phones. That is, according to her research, absolutely contradictory to the cliche that says, well, this is how they communicate, this is how they connect, this is how they form friendships, this is how they interact. How can that be if more of them are feeling isolated, left out, depressed, and anxious? What are the options? Obviously, you delay the age, but you better have a steel rod running through the back of your spine to delay that age. Because long about age 12, 13, and 14, it is intense. They are coming at you with everything they got. And they're making you feel like you are causing psychological damage if you don't yield so that's the first thing second thing is they want the latest and the greatest i want an iphone 29 ew iphone 10 oh what the hell that's old that's like that's like last week that's what happens latest and the greatest and a flip phone oh don't even think about that don't that Don't even remotely suggest that. So, what do you do? Well, there are ways to limit it. You can dramatically limit where and how much time a child spends on this phone. Not allowed to have it at a restaurant. Not allowed to have it at supper time. Not allowed to have it at grandma's house. Not allowed to have it at any kind of social activities. You You can't get on it. If you do, I'll take it. It is totally contingent upon grades, completely. It is totally contingent upon respect. 
it's amaze it amazes me how many parents allow this and then as discipline use it rather than saying you don't get it until you act a certain way consistently there are ways to pair your phone your device with everything that comes in and out of that child's phone you can know every single thing every place they go every person they talk to every text they send everything you can do that you can make it off limits for periods of time put it in a phone safe will you get grief no question teens operate by consensus all those people are doing it therefore it is good and right and you Neanderthal parent or who I got stuck with regarding all this that that takes enormous parental confidence and strength of will to do what you know in the long run is going to be better even though in the short run it causes grief and maybe even resentment the research just coming out all over the place now there's no shortage of research that this thing especially unsupervised is the single most powerful force to shape how your child thinks about themselves about sexuality about friends about religion about you about family life about life single most powerful force I'm Dr. Ray Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. And now, the EWTN Family Prayer with Father Joseph. Family, a prayer that we pray together is a powerful prayer. So please pray together with me, our EWTN Family Prayer. Today we pray for those who have diabetes. Almighty God, we worship you, our Father. And we pray this day for those who suffer with diabetes. Look upon your children with this illness and grant them relief. Give them patience and the grace of perseverance in taking care of their health. Show them the way to physical and spiritual well-being. Let their cry come to your ears and bring them healing in mind and body and soul. We ask this in the holy name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com.
Intellectual Cheetah. In short bursts, I can get your IQ up to 120 if you're listening closely. Interesting thing about a cheetah, they can do that for a couple hundred yards and then they and they get exhausted. So maybe you can do that for a couple minutes holding it at that pace. This is Look Back Friday. Go to uh, Tyler from Illinois. Had an eight-year engagement. Man, that's a long one. I remember my wife. Ooh, my wife gave me an ultimatum. She thought I was dragging my feet in the courtship. So two years into our relationship, she tells me, you either tell me your name or it's over. Been engaged with my fiance for about eight years. We have two you have boys. an eight-year engagement? Eight-year engagement? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. All right. Whoa. She wouldn't like that, would she? Yeah. No. So I kind of saw this coming. So recently, about a month ago, she said that she didn't want to be together anymore. No future. I think there's still a chance. Yeah, I, I think there's a chance. I'm not trying to get all hung up on it. I feel like I've talked with my priest a little bit more lately than I could have in the last few years. But, you know, I kind of come to realize that I, I feel like I may have idolized my relationship over my relationship with God and a lot of that culminated to worldly issues that probably would have not been there if I had been more of a traditional follower of God in the household. Was she? Not as, not as much. Um, I think I may have helped. I could. I had the chance to probably improve that if I would have, you know, done what I know to be true and right more often. I'll blame COVID just a little bit because we began marriage classes with our priest about a week before everything shut down in Illinois and then just kind of got off track again. And so Kyler, to summarize this, you were saying you weren't exactly marriage material and you probably drug, you drug out an engagement for eight years. Your girlfriend said, I'm getting tired of waiting. And furthermore, I'm not sure exactly what I'm waiting for in this guy. Probably, she, yeah. So she's saying, forget it. It's over. It's gone. Don't even come around. Don't even try. Don't show me you've changed. Nothing. You're done. Not that severely, but there's some hints of that. It says here on the computer that you had two children together. Yes. How does that complicate the picture? in terms of you being a father to those children, in terms of you supporting those children financially? It definitely does. Um, so far, things are pretty peaceful and uh, mutually agreed on for split custody and no child support or anything right now. You know, like the living situation is kind of one of those deals where I'm staying with my mom and she's staying at the house and you know I'm paying the bills and letting her try to save some money to find another place. And you want to be a different guy? Tyler, you want to be do, a different man. guy? I want to be the best version that God has in me. Maybe you ought to tell her that God is hitting you with a two-by-four and you're trying to pay attention. And you would like some time to show her. You will you will recourt her and show her that you are 
good husband material if she'll give you the time by the inch to show her. Right. Would she do that? Would she yeah. say, nah, nah, You, I've got enough evidence on what you're like, Tyler. Forget it. Uh, I've heard this before. A little bit of both. A little bit of both because it's been we've been there before. Um, this time seems a little more, little more, little different. Um, well, you're desperate now. She broke up with you. Yeah, yeah, yep. That's that's the thing. I feel that there's a chance. You know, I'm not going to sit here and grovel and beg. And be, you know, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but I'm not going to be pathetic about it. Well, those kids need but a daddy. I, I those have, kids need a full time daddy. Yeah, and they, they did. They didn't ask to not have a daddy around. Right, and it's been we've been pretty balanced out with the parenting time and stuff between the two of us. But my oldest boy is six, and he's asked, "Well, why are you staying at grandma's?" And my best answer for that has been, "Well, I'm just doing some work, you know." So when they yeah, you're gonna have to be straight with him one of these times. I know she was wanting to have a talk with the kids. I'm like, I really don't want to tell them that mom and dad aren't getting along that good and this and that and put that on them right now. If you think, Tyler, that there are a lot of ways that you can become a better man and that if you get closer to God, that'll be the biggest push to you being a better man, then you tell her that. And you tell her, you ask her, ask her, humbly ask her, uh, will will she give you a chance you don't have to automatically jump back into reconcile and live together, which you were doing before. But will she give you a chance to begin this relationship from a different direction and to show her that these changes in you are durable? This is not Tyler saying, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I know I don't want to live with my mom, so therefore can we re- can we reconcile because, you know, it's a better living situation than anything I've got so far. No, nah, you come across like that, and she's going to look at you like, get lost. Interesting. I was trying to figure out exactly what Tyler was asking. Now, it appears, from what I can piece together of the details, that he had been living with this woman and had two children by her and had been all along promising her he would marry her, hence labeling it an eight-year engagement, which is I'm, I'm committing myself to marry you, just not yet. She said, that's it, enough of that. Now, if I had time to ask a lot more questions, I would have wondered, is her frustration and breaking off this relationship solely because he's not committing? Or are there a whole lot of other problems in this relationship? And she's figuring that marriage will solve some of those. His lack of commitment is reflected in other things like being an uninvolved daddy or living an independent, pleasure-seeking existence? I don't know. It's only stuff you can explore in therapy. But typically, this is what happens when someone attempts to move along in a static kind of way in a relationship until they get the ultimatum commit or get out.
Now, I'd want to know why he didn't commit. What was it? What, what all this time living with her, he doesn't want to marry her. Why? What's going on? Does he have doubts about the marriage? He had two children by her. He's talking like he's had some kind of resurgence of his faith. Okay. Then how will that translate into a moral existence? One thing about having a resurgence of faith but that brings with it a moral living. of Mother Angelica. I come from the other side of the tracks, see? My uncle used to have slot machines. Put one nickel in and it's emptied. And I brought him home in a bag and my mother looked at me. Where did you get all that money? I said, I won him. You didn't win him. He fixed the machine. I didn't care if he fixed the machine or not, you know? EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. What is one of the most challenging doctrines of the Catholic Church to comprehend? It is the mystery of the real presence of Jesus Christ in the sacrament of the Eucharist. The Catholic Catechism tells us that Christ is present to his church in many ways, but most especially in the Eucharistic species, and that his presence in these species of bread and wine is unique. The whole Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity is truly, really, substantially contained therein. In other words, under sacramental signs, he is physically as well as spiritually present. St. John Christendom declares that man does not cause this miraculous occurrence. A man, the priest, acting in the role of Christ, does pronounce the words, but it is Christ himself whose power and grace brings about the transformation of the bread and wine into his body and blood. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Thank you for joining me here. Dr. Ray Garandi, program doctor is in. Variants of the program, Look Back Friday. Taking previous calls and edited at some level by Andrew Kruchek, producer man, board operator, and altogether good father of John and Audra Rose. This call is, well... I don't know if it's the main reason people leave the church. I think the main reason they leave the church is drift or 
thinking among, among among young people, as Father Robert Spitzer says, thinking that science has pretty much made religion irrelevant, which is couldn't be more false. Matter of fact, more science is showing religion to be truly uh, a rational, full of evidence approach to life. Uh, but this one is common. It's probably in the top five. Uh, Melissa from Kansas has a friend, had a bad experience. I don't remember the exact details on that, but she's now apart from the church. Now, this person that uh, who says they're Catholic, but but they're not going to really commit to be Catholic because they had some bad experience at the hands of somebody, right? A priest or a layperson? Yes. Mm. It's very hard to speak with this person about anything. Even I branched out and said, I mentioned her uh, guardian angel. And she mentioned angels, in, you know, per se, but not you know, guardian angel. She won't commit to that either. Do you know what so this what happened whole, to this person, Melissa? I do. Okay. I do. Um, she trusted, my parents had trusted this priest in a small town, and they took her to camp, and she had a horrible experience and just said, you know, that uh, so many people are sinning and they claim to be Catholic, and they're not, because how could they do that? And it just soured her for life. How, how many years ago was this? Oh, boy. Let's see. It would be 30, 35-odd years, something like that. I'm going to go out on a limb here, Melissa, and I'm going to say that's not the reason. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to say that's what she cites as the reason. And maybe at the time... It did rock her world. But for 35 years to simply say, I'm not going to have anything to do with that Catholic Church because this happened when I was 15 or 19 or whatever she was. I bet you can tell me there's been a whole bunch of stuff in between in this woman's life. Yes. Aha! Absolutely. Told you. <laughs> so, yes. if you're going to approach it at all, if she even wants, if she even wants to hear it, I would ask her, do you think these people were acting like the Catholic Church teaches? And she's got to say no. She's got to say no. Mm-hmm. If she says, well, yes, they are. The Catholic Church teaches that you're supposed to betray people, and the Catholic Church teaches that you're supposed to mistreat people, and the Catholic Church teaches that you're supposed to hurt people. And she won't say that. So then you ask her, well... Is it the people who did this or the church who did it? Well, it's the people. Okay. So if they're acting against what the church teaches, how is the church at fault? Well, people who say they're Catholic shouldn't act like that. I agree with you. They shouldn't. But do you think people can say they're Catholic and then act any way they want? See, see what I'm saying here? You're trying to you're trying to yeah. separate. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere. 35 years, there's a whole bunch of other stuff floating around in there. But you're trying to separate this idea that it is the church who did this rather than the people. 
That's what I would do, my dear. But don't drive yourself crazy Thank over you. it because I'm telling you. Okay. It sounds like she's just pretty much convinced uh, I don't really want to commit to this whole thing for a whole lot of reasons. And that's one of the ones I'm citing. Bad people. That's right. Bad okay. people. I'll tell you what. If people had to use me as a judge for the Catholic Church, I'm not I'm not sure how well I'd do for some of them. Not that I'm trying to mm-hmm. not that I'm not trying to change it, but Hey, Melissa, thank you, dear. Thank you so much for the call, okay? Thank you. All right, you're welcome, honey. One of the things I've discovered over this many years of talking with people who have left the church, frequently the answer they give to why they left, if you spend time exploring with them the backdrop, is not the reason. A classic example of this is the parent who hears from her adult child, I'm not in a Catholic church because you forced me to go to church. Most of the time, that's not the reason. It's not the reason at all. Maybe the reason used to make a parent feel guilty. That isn't the reason. The reason is other things. I drifted out. It conflicts with the way I want to live my life. I don't think it's all that important. I'm not sure what I believe anymore. The culture has influenced me dramatically. Culture pretty much is very good at at stealing people's faith. It's very, very good at it. So when someone says it's those people, it's those hypocrites in the church. Therefore Therefore, the church can't be who she says she is because there are those people and some people think it's a majority. It is a majority. It's everyone. If you're looking at people who claim to be faith-filled but still sin, that's everybody. So when that rationale is used, immediately I wonder, as a psychologist, and sometimes I get to talk to people about it, is that really it? A priest said or did something So therefore you leave the church instead of looking at it as that priest or whomever was acting wrongly. What is it? What is it about humans who take something so personally that they reject the possibility that the church is true? I'm not even going to look the church's way anymore. Why? Because I had bad experiences. In the extreme, of course, this was the abuse scandal. In the very extreme. I don't know what the numbers are, but they're high. The number of people who left the Catholic Church because of the abuse scandal. Which, at one level, is quote-unquote understandable in the sense of, I don't want to be part of anybody who acts like that, but it's not understandable when you look at it and say what those priests did was egregiously wrong and the church teaches exactly the opposite. Anything can be a justification for something you really don't want to do anyway.
Connection with Teresa Tomio. The church isn't saying throw out the baby with the bathwater. Throw out all the media. Don't use the media. What the Pope is saying that make sure that what you are doing is enabling yourself and others to encounter Christ more deeply. And you can't do that unless you reach out. You have to reach out to God first. You have to encounter him in the Eucharist, in that personal relationship. And then you pray, you reflect, and then you go. In my book, Beyond Sunday, Becoming a 24-7 Catholic, I talk about the three M's of faith, meeting, mercy, and mission. You meet and encounter Christ. You enter into a personal relationship with him. He gives you mercy. And then what do you do? You just sit there and say, oh, thanks, Jesus. See you later. No, you go out on mission exactly as the woman at the well did. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. John chapter 11, verses 21 to 26. This is the story of Lazarus. Lazarus has died. Lazarus is one of his best friends. Just before this passage, we hear the news that Martha and Mary send word to Jesus that the one you love is sick. And the next line in the scripture is, now because Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was. His friends in need, he can heal. They've seen him heal before. And yet somehow because he loves him, he stays. And Lazarus dies. And then Jesus shows up three days later and is greeted by Martha and Mary, who confront him with the words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would never have died. Rather applicable for many of us in our lives. We ask the Lord to do one thing because we're certain it is what we think is best. When in fact, he has something which far surpasses what we ask for. Challenges in waiting for that to happen. We go through very trying times, which oftentimes makes us wonder, does he really care? to be cool when you got cool music. Hopefully some of it will spill over. Ran into a little problem just recently, uh, both with my superiors at EWGN and at Ave Maria Radio. Uh, They said that I needed to basically sound a little smarter, to be wiser. Now, I thought to myself, that's kind of hard to do because I think I'm at the upper limit of my intellectual capacity. So I figured out I got to find a way to come across a little more intellectually puissant. I got it. It is simple to be wise. I just think of something really dumb to say and then I don't say it. That's a lot easier than actively looking for something smart to say. Anonymous mom from Texas has a daughter who refuses to talk to her. Now, we we get that question a fair amount on this program. But typically, the reasons vary. And let's see what the dynamic is between mom and daughter here. Do you have any clue as to why your daughter said a year ago, never talk to me again? Well, at first I thought it was the fact that I couldn't make the uh, trip to visit her. She had provided the ticket, and I offered to return the money. You know, and she said, no, it's not that. And however, in the past, 
like 40-something years ago. She was molested by my ex, her stepfather, ex-husband. You didn't protect her in her mind. Right. And then, so this has been now 11, 11 years ago, she wanted me to call him. Somehow she, well, I know somehow she got the, his telephone number for the police. She was now saying it was attempted rape. And, and yet when it happened and we had been going through family therapy, she said, no, 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 it wasn't. He just t- touched my breast. And not only did she say that to the therapist, but also to the, you know, to relatives. 30 years later, it was attempted rape. And I didn't know, I said, I don't want to talk to him. You know, his, my whole life, the two years that I was with him, I have no clue what was truth or fiction. He was a compulsive liar. He was unfaithful. And I said, nah, he, he just lie. You know, he just lie. So your daughter says, I was traumatized, and you're not willing to do anything to help me get over the trauma. She, well, I believe she was having the conversation recorded. There were funny clicks on the line. and I Conversation didn't, I, with you but, recorded? Yes, yes. And for for said, her well, therapist? Uh, not for the therapist. This is, that therapy happened 30 years earlier. So and, she, hasn't, uh, she has no, not she, been in therapy, to your knowledge? Yes. She has. She lost two babies at birth a while. Well, one was 12 years ago. In, in the 40 years had, since all this happened, you had a, a, a tentative, delicate relationship with her. Yes. And yes. only in the last year has she said, forget it, it's over. Yes. Actually, so, the tenuous relationship was uh, 11 years ago when I said I would not call him. That's, and that's said, what well, did it. if we can get him, we if we could admit, get him to admit, on um, that he did it, then I can, um, I can have him prosecuted. There's no statute of limitations. But you, mom, are also going to have to be charged for being an unfit parent. And okay. I said, go for it. Do whatever you need right. to, honey. So this so. young lady, well, she's probably not young anymore. How old no, is she? In her forties, fifties, fifty-seven. So she's saying that my life is a mess because of that one incident. Yes. Because you didn't do anything about it, as as she saw it anyway. And so this many years later, 40, 45 years later, she's not happy with her life, and she's pointing to that one incident. Yes. Okay. She told me I did not teach her how to be a good mother. Okay. (laughs) So would you say it's safe to say that your daughter is not a contented person? Exactly. And so she's got to find somewhere to lay the blame. Yeah. And I'm hurt. And I'm angry. Well, it wouldn't do you any good if I were to say, if that's the way she's going to look at it, let her go. I have thought of that. Oh. Actually, I have for a year. I just yeah. pray for her. There you, you go. Know, and, okay. You're not going to go to your grave not being at peace. Don't you want peace? I do. Well, then you you think to yourself, for whatever her reasons, she has decided I am the source of the misery in her life. That's ludicrous. 
but I can't change your mind, and I am not going to make myself any more miserable about this. I refuse. That's where you got to be. That's the thinking you got to have. That's what my pastor says. That's what my husband says. And for the most part, I I can do it. Okay, but occasionally... It, yeah. You know, it comes uh, back. Yeah, you have hiccups. You have hiccups. Yeah. The key is they don't last. Okay, so if you no, if you don't. have a day or two <laughs> where you're feeling particularly bad about it, but you recover, we're not sitting there for a month and a half coloring everything no. you do in life. No. That'll grow. You don't. I don't know your details, and I don't know what's going on here, but I, at 57 years of age, if somebody's saying to you, you are not the mother that I think you should have been, so get out of my life, just out of curiosity, and I think I would know the answer to this, has your daughter abandoned her religion? Well, I don't know in the last couple of years, but um, no, she was going to... She was going to uh, services at the convent on Sunday evenings. Um, I'll call them vespers. I don't know what the term is, but not to my knowledge. You know, it was in the letter of John. My other two, my other two children are fine. You know, they. I'm not getting her. them involved. But, Good. You know, in the letter of John, it says, "How can you say you love God, whom you don't see, when you don't love the people you do see? You're a liar." That's what the letter of John says. So I got to wonder, all these, all these folks who say, I'm a religious person, but yet they carry this bitterness and resentment, and I dare say probably hatred, towards significant people in their lives. That's, that's, a, that's a delicate spot to be. One of the advantages of being a shrink for a long, long time is you see things that have changed at least from your perspective from the beginning of your shrinkhood to now what i'm seeing and i think the surveys are confirming this we got a lot more miserable people just miserable unhappy with their lives unhappy with the people around them and blaming now i have no idea the circumstances I could only take what our caller said. She said that there was a very inappropriate touch. That's what she said. Was it? That that one thing. The daughter said, and I don't I don't know this, I'm not a lawyer, I I can't gauge this, and this is in the state, I don't know what exactly their statutes are. The daughter said there's no statute of limitations on this. I, d- I don't know that. It's 40 years old, maybe more, maybe 45. So it would be a he said, she said, he would deny it, she would accuse. It's 45 years later. My strong hunch is it would go nowhere. She's convinced it would. She's convinced that he could go to, he could go to prison, and that's what he deserves. And furthermore, she's convinced that the mom could go there too. That's that's a, a real stretch. That's a major, major stretch. So for whatever the reason, this daughter has decided that mom is not worth any kind of relationship with anymore. She's 
breaking the fourth commandment. It's hard to honor somebody if you say, I want nothing to do with you. Get out of my life. Don't ever talk to me again. Now, someone might say, Dr. A, you don't know. If we talk to the daughter, you could find out all kinds of pathology. True. That could be. It could very well be. Um, and again, what I'm hearing is just from the caller. However, um, <clears throat> if, if in fact the basics of the picture are legit, then there's real question marks here on why the daughter is acting this way. Um, the, the upshot of it all is that when somebody tells you, get out of my life, do not contact me, I don't want to hear from you, you no longer exist to me, no matter whom that person is, someone you were once married to, somebody you raised for 20 years, a sibling that you reasonably got along with for 45 years, no matter who it is. And almost always it's a, a very close emotional tie or once was a close emotional tie. You have, no, you have no option. You are in a position to have to accept that that's how they see it. I didn't do something that a friend wanted me to do once. I didn't do it. I thought what was being asked of me was not right for me to do, so I didn't do it. And for the longest period of time, this friend wrote me off, upset at me. There's been some softening since, but it's not the same. I had, I had n no option. I had no choice. I had to simply accept the condition that my friend put on the relationship. Now, a friend is not a daughter, of course. It's not a spouse. It's not a parent. But yet, at the same time, that's more often where it happens in those very, very historically close relationships, or at least at one time an everyday relationship emotionally, which now is over because one party says it is. You're done. What you have left to do is to pray and to seek your own personal peace. Because if you tie your peace to that person's stance regarding you and regarding the relationship, you will never be at peace again. You will always, at some level, be tormented by the fact that they have decided you are no longer in my life. Dr. Ray. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today 
at boxofjoy.org. The binary choice between life and death is the engine that drives the entire story of human history. It's there in the garden where Adam and Eve made the wrong choice. It's there in the days of Cain and Abel when they have to choose between right and wrong worship. It's there with Joshua in chapter 24 where he says, choose this day whom you will serve. And the binary choice is there with King David when Bathsheba catches his eye. It's there in Proverbs 14:12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And it's there in Jesus' teaching. Will you build on the rock or will you build on sand? And when we talk about imitating Christ, we mean that we want to be like Jesus, who always makes the right choice, choosing God above created things. He chooses life, and for those who follow him, he promises abundant life, even eternal life. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak. And I'm Lisa Popchak from More to Life. Would you like to have a better family life by Christmas? Join us Monday, December 4th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, for our free webinar, A More Peaceful Family by Christmas, A Catholic Parent's Guide to Advent. In Advent, we're called to make more room in our hearts and homes for Christ. Discover how the grace of Advent can help you celebrate the loving, faithful family life God wants for you. And it's free. Just register at catholichom webinar. That's catholichom webinar. See you there. Hard to know what percentage of blame in these relationships that are severed. You can look back on it and you say, I'd do things very differently if I could. We're human. We make a lot of mistakes. A lot of it comes down to forgiveness. Is that other person willing to forgive you no matter how they think you offended them, hurt them, etc.? My experience has been... Uh, more often than not, these are people who have left religion. They have left the faith. They, they feel no obligation to forgive. None. In their mind, they're following their own rules. They're not following God's rules. In a minority of cases, I do see people who very proudly <laughs> proclaim their Christian faith. And some of whom, and I've even had this happen, are daily mass goers, very active in the church. But they've written somebody off close to them because in their mind that person offended them unforgivably so. And, and it isn't something that you look at and say that person was dangerous, that person is pathological, that person is toxic, that person should be distant because of safety factors. Sometimes it's not that way. It's just that I, I don't like who that person is. Severely don't like who that person is. That happens, unfortunately, too many times. All right, got to go. Thank you for joining me here. Good Lord permit, and I'll see you Monday on The Doctor is In. Thanks, Andrew Kruchek. Walk with God. He will never shun you. You are the only one to sever that relationship. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.